Welcome to The Social Minute, the podcast that looks at the social network minute by minute. Today, we're going to be covering minute number 63, which is an hour and two minutes to an hour, two and 59 seconds. And uh, this is, we get more Larry Summers, more Larry Summers and the twins, um, you know, which feels like a, a kind of like 80 synth band. Um, and um, he, he kind of says to them, have you tried directly dealing with the other student? Like, have you, have you spoken to Mark Zuckerberg? And we've already had the email exchanges. We know that he sent 37 emails or whatever it was. Um, And obviously he's not answering the phone calls. Uh, They can't get into his dorm. Um, And then, of course, this is where Cameron reveals that he chased him through Harvard Square, (laughs) which is probably one of my favorite things in the entire film. Yeah, based, uh, based on a real incident. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> and then there's a whole thing where Ty- Tyler kind of goes back to the whole ethics thing. Um, and, you know, we kind of like we get to the whole thing of like, you know, petty larceny. And, um, you know, it's again, it's it's just kind of like, you know, uh, Larry Summers kind of trying to trying to kind of say to them, if this is not my business, um, you know, and of course, uh, this is this is kind of where they, they have this whole, you know, um, you know, letting your imagine you might be letting your imaginations <laughs> run away with you, uh, which of course is where Tyler says that's literally what you said in that freshman address. Um, which I, again is this is just some wonderful writing here from Aaron Sorkin, and of course this is where Larry Summers he we finish the minute with him saying, "Well, I would suggest," and that's kind of where we end. But you know, we kind of know where it's going. Um, and joining me to talk about today is Sean German. Hello, Sean. Oh, hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. Now, yeah, so we, we get the, probably one of my favorite things in these few minutes, which is the whole, you know, I chased him through Harvard <laughs> Square. <laughs> and I, 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 Cameron kind of doesn't, he doesn't, he kind of walks it back just a tiny bit where he's like, you know, I saw him and he saw me and I went after him, but he disappeared. So like, so it's basically, it doesn't feel like he was like chasing him across campus um, or anything like that. It just feels like Mark Zuckerberg spotted because obviously they're easy to see. One of the twins, <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> "I'm out of here." And then he just kind of, you know, ran somewhere and hid, and Cameron couldn't find him. Like it was less that he was like chasing him down, um, you know. So I, I, which I don't know. I, I kind of love that. Uh, apparently, this did like obviously Mark Zuckerberg did kind of avoid the twins a bit, and they he did kind of see them on campus one time and run away. Yeah. I don't know how much kind of chasing him through Harvard Square is true, but. I, I still find it really funny. Um, yeah, I just you know. I, I love the visual of well we you know we know what in in context of the movie we know what what Jesse Eisenberg looks like and we know what Army Hammer looks like and just the image of you know this this tall imposing you know the Aryan ideal this this scholar athlete who is I don't know what are they seven feet tall you know just bounding through Harvard Square chasing after the. Um, the proverbial 98 pound weakling, you know, the geek with his glasses running away. And it's just the, the image that conjures up. I chased him through yeah. Harvard square. I, I hope that's true. I mean, as described, he's six, two and two twenty, Um, and there's two of him and there's two. Um, of- so yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, but I, uh, yeah, I do kind of love that, but this is where Larry Summers kind of gets to the point. Yeah. And he says, I don't see this as a university issue. And I, you know, I think he's kind of correct. Like, you know, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg has started a website and it's similar to an idea you had, that's not really to do with the university. Um, You know, uh, there is this, I mean, there's a certain kind of level of irony here because, um, you know, certainly some American universities, if you are like a medical undergrad um, and let's say you're kind of in the research field, 
any research you do belongs to the university. So if you make a breakthrough in like, you know, curing cancer, mm -hmm. well, the patent for like that medicine belongs to the university and they can profit off it. So there was a bit of a gray area where, you know, I, obviously this doesn't, this wasn't, you know, like, um, it's not like this was an assignment. I think that the, the interesting thing is if Facebook had been an assignment that Harvard had given Mark Zuckerberg, like create a website that does this and this and this, um, and it was kind of part of a project, they would own Facebook um, because, you know, it'd be part of the, the kind of work that he did as at the university. Right. Uh, whereas in this case, because it was in his own free time, fortunately, you know, there's, that's not the case. Um, you know, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of kind of things, certainly in kind of the last couple of decades where people have invented stuff out of university. And then the university has been like, oh, thank you very much. We're going to make millions of this now. <laughs> and, you, and you get a degree out of it. So congratulations. There you Enjoy go. Enjoy yeah. the U.S. economy. Um, so I'm, I'm, know, really, I'm, I'm really interested. I found it really interesting. The take that Larry Summer is taking um that position when he says you entered into a code of ethics with the university, not with each other. Um, and he's kind of, um, yeah. And, and I think, and I'm trying to think, that's, like where, I, Tyler, that's I, where Tyler goes. I'm sorry, president Summers, what you just said makes no <laughs> sense to me at all. Well, and then, um, and then it's the, you know, and then the, the sarcastic response I'm to this, devastated Oh, I'm, by I'm, that. I'm devastated by that. Like, obviously, yeah. yeah the, you know, Larry Summers' image of himself and his perception of self-worth is depending on the degree at which these undergraduates understand, you know, his philosophy on university ethics. Um, but I, but I think that it's interesting because, um, well, it, like so, if and I'm thinking of like current events in the news where students have been involved with high profile crimes and i guess and and i realize what what makes the news is not necessarily the or, the the ordinary everyday stuff almost by definition it have to be extraordinary uh, to make the news but I, i'm thinking of news items where students have been uh, expelled or asked to leave school based on allegations of crimes that didn't even, you know, that didn't happen on campus where the victim or the involved parties are not students of the university or the school, but just having been involved with some questionable activities, the students are asked to leave. And, and Summers here is taking almost the exact opposite position where, what you do, even if it's on campus, even involves other students. If it doesn't involve the, an interaction with the university directly, then it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, the code of ethics or honor code or anything of that sort. Um, and, and I don't know if there's a lot of educators even 15 years ago that would take that position. And I don't know if it's necessarily even Larry Summers' position. I think it's it's one of those things where it just applies to this specific case. I don't know if he's really saying in general, do whatever you want, as long as you don't do it to Harvard, then it doesn't break, you know, doesn't violate your code. I don't know if that's what he's saying, but I think he, but he's certainly saying in this case, you know, this specific situation, he doesn't care about. I mean, I, I think he's framing it as, for example, you know, if you're in an exam and you plagiarize from the student sitting next to you, your, you know, your plagiarism is enough to get you expelled because you violated the code of ethics with the university. 
but the person that you've plagiarized off wouldn't have a case for you stealing their essay because the university wouldn't care about that because that's that's mm-hmm. not a violation of anything like that's you know and that that seems to be the position he's taking is like well you know mark zuckerberg stole this idea which is fine He's, you know, he stole it in his spare time and he stole yeah. it from a student. <laughs> he stole it in his spare time. Well, yeah, and he, it's not, yeah, if they had said, but he stole my idea and then he submitted it as his homework for this programming course. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then that would involve the university. Yeah, like the, the ethics are like between you and, you know, your, you know, the, the class that you are taking. Like, you know, you have to behave in an ethical way in the, in the class. And, you know, like, you know, plagiarism obviously being the big thing that, you know, it, it's all over college campuses you know that's the kind of the reason why you can get expelled um you know the, t- the tv show um the spin-off from blackish i cannot remember the title of it uh where zoe is at college they had a whole big storyline in the second season where she plagiarized something and you know she was almost thrown out of university she wasn't thrown out of university because the premise of that show requires that she be at university so <laughs> but like the the whole thing wasn't you know where she stole it from it was the fact that she submitted it and that was like the big issue obviously you know pl- with plagiarism being such a big issue on colleges these days especially with the internet and how easy it is to kind of like generate essays or buy essays or wh- however you want to do it um, you know, yes. that like all of that is kind of that's clearly like a violation, um, you know, whereas, you know, if the twins were to kind of cheat in a race, you know, maybe that's also a violation, you know, but maybe it isn't like it kind of would depend where the race was taking place. And, you know, like if it's part if it's part of their um uh, you know, like, uh, le- le- I don't think they are because obviously I feel like they're rich. But if they were getting some kind of scholarship that would depend upon them, you know, maintaining a certain academic record and also a certain athletic record, obviously, if they kind of cheated in races to get a better kind of athletic record, then that would be a clear violation. But if they're just doing like a race, you know, the race that takes place later in the film in London and they cheated to win that race. Does that does that really matter to Harvard? Do they really care if they cheat in a race? Like, if it's not part of yeah. of, of of like the college, then you know, are they really concerned? And in this case, Larry Summers is like, I'm not concerned. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and maybe and maybe the difference is, are they? Is it is it in like an official event where they representing the school in terms of they they're caught cheating, or if it's just if they're rowing in their spare time and oh, I, you know, we we bet this kid Zuckerberg. That we could beat him in a race, yeah, and we cheated, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't an you know an official intercollegiate activity. It's not like a trophy that's being awarded by, um, by the school or any organization. So, yeah, then so then the this president's opinion is has nothing to do with the school. It's something you can. Um, well, you know, you handle amongst yourselves. Let's probably like this: basically. if they if they were taking part in like a, you know, let's not say it's the twins. Let's just say it's some basketball players, and they're taking place. You know, they're taking part in like a an NCAA like tournament or something, and they took steroids. Then obviously, you know, that would be a case for them being thrown out of school. But if if it's just a couple of athletes who on the weekend, you know, do some pickup basketball and they take steroids then Larry Summers wouldn't really be that concerned because, you know, the act of taking steroids in itself is not illegal. It's just not, you're not allowed to do it as part of being at college, you know. Um, Although obviously the NCAA being a terrible organization, it also seems that eating food is not allowed as part of college. Um, But here, here, like the thing that he's saying is, you know, what Mark Zuckerberg did 
had nothing it was not it was not part of like any coursework it's not part of any you know kind of you know they don't have like a written contract with him or anything like there's it's nothing here that he can see that has anything to do with the college it's just between students um and then of course you know cameron tries to give the example because of course cameron is the one who's sensible and keeps trying to bring it back and he's like you know if he if he came into our dorm room and stole our computer and of course larry summers is like call the police we don't handle petty larceny like <laughs> you know and i i kind of understand it and also this is this again tyler's kind of blood boils as he says this isn't petty larceny he says this idea is potentially worth millions of dollars and of course millions. you know in the trailer that kind of line of you know the idea being worth millions of dollars was also kind of smash cut with the billions um and i i, I yeah. like larry summers kind of going millions and I, I don't know at this point it kind of just make larry summers look like a bit of a kind of out of touch old man where he's like you know a website making money um, you know, I was I was at the treasury when the dot com bubble yeah. burst. No one will ever make money from the internet again. Um, like so, it's it's kind of funny that he has that attitude. Um, and then of course that is where he says, you know, you you might be letting your imagination run away with you. Um, and then of course probably one like a great kind of Sorkin Sorkin esque comeback of like I don't you know when Tyler says I don't think you're in a position to make that call, and he's like. I was U.S. Treasury Secretary. I'm in some position to make that call. Um, and then of course, Tyler restates, you know, this is what is in the freshman address was letting our imaginations run away with us, which I kind, of, I kind of love that as well. Like, again, that feels more like a Sorkin thing of like, you know, him literally saying imaginations run away with you him, and him being like, that's literally what you said to us last year. Like <laughs> on the opening day of, of, of coming to Harvard, you said, let your imaginations run away. And now we're doing that. And you're like, it's not possible. Like, uh, I don't know. I love the frustration that Tyler feels in this moment of like nothing that Larry Summers is saying is helping him like kind of calm him down. It's just constantly making him angrier and angrier with each line. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I, I like that. Um, so so Cameron has clearly laid out what he thinks is a very logical and irrefutable set of arguments in terms of, you know, we have this code of conduct and this student has violated it by wronging us and, and surely you must take some action. And then he he, he has not anticipated, Cameron has not anticipated the, the counterattack that's going to come from Summers, basically that this is not a university issue. It has nothing to do with the code of ethics and nothing to do with me. And I, th- you know, and, and Tyler sees that before Cameron. Cameron has has lost this argument uh, before he realizes it. And 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 Tyler is, you know, the uh, you know more of a hothead and more impulsive impulsive of the twins. And he is, and then he, yeah, I think. It, towards the end of this minute or the middle of the minute is the point where he has lost patience with both these gentlemen, with his brother and Larry Summers that, yeah, he, he starts poking in with, um, you know, and, and yeah, and then and, and Cameron kind of, you know, tries to calm him down. Ty. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, Tyler comes back with, this is, you know, potentially worth millions of dollars. Um, and this is a, the second time this week where, um, as I'm marking up the script in the margin, I write, know your audience when Tyler busts in with the, um, yeah, I don't think you're in any position to make that call, which just gives Larry Summers just the opening. He, I'm sure he was waiting for to kind of trot out, you know, his, uh, his bona fides to say as, as U S treasury secretary, I might be in some position, but as you, as you allude to, um, and as we talked earlier this week, while he certainly had that position, uh, there can be some discussion of how effectively he he served in that position and um, how how many how 
um, I guess the the quality of his financial decisions. Although I guess apparently uh, comparing the his uh, financial disclosures that he had submitted while working under the Clinton administration versus the financial disclosure he did uh, while working under Obama, apparently his net worth went up by uh, several tens of millions of dollars in the intervening years when he was uh, primarily serving as president of Harvard. So um, he did okay. You know, he, he may not know a lot about what uh, Cameron and Tyler are speaking of here, but he clearly knows something about uh, you know filling up his own pockets and making money in that respect. I mean, I guess it's interesting because obviously if you know who Larry Summers is and you know when he was Treasury of the Secretary, you know that he was Treasury of the Secretary from 99 to 2001, which is just as the bubble burst you know, on the whole kind of, you know, early mm. dot com thing, like, you know, kind of it bubbled up through the 90s. And then, you know, you have um, and what was it like pets dot com spent like 100 million on like an advert or something. It's like, <laughs> and like they had literally like $60,000 of like income and stuff. So like, you know, I think Larry Summers, when he's kind of talking about like, you know, an Internet idea that's worth millions. Um, this bear in mind, this is this is like three years after the dot com bubble burst. Um, and obviously he was, you know, he was there for that for that bubble bursting. So in some ways, I think his his position at this time is kind of informed by the fact that he's just he's just watched like a bunch of internet companies crash and burn in the like the biggest possible way. And so he like in his mind, if you're saying, oh, we got this idea for a website, he's probably like, yeah, that's not going to make millions of dollars. So I could kind of understand him saying that, you know, like it, it kind of makes sense if you're Larry Summers in two thousand and four. <laughs> Because you're like, I, you know, the, the, the web, you know, like uh, Google was just starting to grow. Amazon was just starting to grow. eBay was just starting to grow mm-hmm. again. Like none of those would be like huge for like another three or four years. Um, and certainly wouldn't be, you know, some of them had, I mean, Amazon was like losing money for like the first six or seven years it was in business. So, you know, it, like if you're, if you're looking at kind of like into like, you know, websites in 2004, they aren't making millions. So, uh, you know, Larry Summers is kind of correct there where he's like, you know, it sounds like you're kind of, you know, getting swept up in the same way that people did during the dot-com bubble that just burst a few years ago. Um, and that, that feels yeah, like... That's, obviously, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know where things are, are going to lead yeah. in the, the 15 years following this. But yeah, at, at the time, what they're talking about is very speculative. That, it, yeah, it, it's easy to see why someone might not, you know, attach a lot of worth to to this idea and fair, fair yeah. play to tyler he says potentially worth millions of dollars he doesn't say it is potentially. he says potentially and you know potentially any idea is worth millions of dollars <laughs> like you know <laughs> potentially it, it's always there so you know uh you know potentially men in black international could have made millions of dollars it didn't but potentially <laughs> it could have potentially yeah so yeah. i i that little kind of that word there kind of you know I feel like Larry Summers is kind of correct, but also that you know, in hindsight, the twins also look like they're correct as well. So that's that's kind of interesting in this scene, like the fact that um, you know the film has tried to kind of set it up so that you can have a little bit of sympathy for both sides, um, you know. And in this particular case, uh, the twins, you know, quite cleverly have have dropped Divya, like they're not having him come in on this meeting, um, you know, they're going in solo, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it to them it kind of makes sense, you know, this idea could be worth millions, you know, like if. If people are willing to spend money on stuff like Pets.com, then yeah, they could make money off off this this website. Um, you know, when they sold it, I think a few years after this, 
Connect U was actually worth, I think it had like, I don't know, like 200 million, something like that. It was, it did end up being worth millions. Um, you know, so like they, you know, they weren't wrong, but you know, in this particular case, we're on Larry Summers' side, you know, he has a point, you know, um, but yeah, I just love the restatement of, you know, letting your imaginations run away with us. Um, and it's, and just the fact that he's like, that's literally what you told us. <laughs> and it's such a, again, I don't think that happened, but it is such a wonderful kind of sorkin thing for people to kind of quote stuff and the other person to be like, you literally told me this yesterday. Like, you know, you said to do this, like you said, this was the right thing to do. And now you've completely reversed your position. And he's like, you know, who told you to let your imagination run away with you? And he's like, you did. <laughs> you that did, was your yeah. keynote to us. Like, um, so, yeah, so I kind of love that restatement. Um, yeah, but we'll get into what Larry Summers thinks they should do next. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, let's I mean, you know, obviously uh, with it being uh, Wednesday um, and it's worth saying we haven't kind of talked much about this, but this scene is just. Um, you know, three guys and Anne in a room, like this. Mm-hmm. It's all one location, and most of it is. It looks to me it's done with um, like nat- like existing light sources. It doesn't seem to be like kind of overlit. Um, you know, it's it's beautifully shot. Like you know, it's just a series of like one shots and two shots, and then you know, occasionally you see you know Larry Summers and the twins together, and just kind of get an idea of the space. Um, but it's just kind of one of those things where you know David David Fincher. David Fincher is kind of one of the directors who can make three guys arguing in a room like kind of dynamic and interesting <laughs> and can kind of lead you down a path of like, you know, you feel throughout this scene, the kind of tension rising of like Larry Summers kind of being done with it and the twins just keep on going. And, you know, it, I think that's just one of the strengths that, you know, of the film is is kind of David Fincher's kind of the way he directs is is really kind of it turns this scene that's just basically two kids whining to this other person into one with a kind of a lot of momentum and you know kind of tension and you know again he like the way he kind of has it so the twins sort of feel like they're in the right but also Larry Summers is kind of like yeah this you know he this is nothing to do with me stop pestering me um so that is my effortless segue into the Wednesday question which is uh you know what are your feelings on other David Fincher films um I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I've I've liked uh, most of the ones I've seen. Uh, you know, I wasn't crazy about Panic Room. Well, and also probably thinking, you're trying to think back to the first of his films that I saw was probably Alien Three, um, which is not his best effort, <laughs> and and certainly not not the best entry in that franchise. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think we're at the point now where Alien but not, Three is. Yeah, the but worst no, no, not films. the worst. Definitely not the worst. Um, but I think, yeah. uh, you know, Fight Club, uh, maybe my favorite. Uh, I, I kind of go back and forth. I mean, this is really good. This is a really good movie. I enjoy this very much. Fight Club and Seven are, are another couple that I, that I really liked. The ones kind of uh, Gone Girl, Zodiac were movies I enjoyed, but not, not crazy about. Um, but yeah, this is, this is certainly going to be close to the top, if not, if not number one in, um, in, in his body of work, but the guy, the guy makes some good movies, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, you skipped over, uh, the Mm -hmm. game, which I feel is, again, it's kind of, it's a, it's an underrated gem, I feel. Um, if only for just the fact that, you know, um, I, I don't know, it just kind of 
the fact the, the way that it puts Michael Douglas in a ringer is always one of my favorite <laughs> things about him. Like his constant exasperation and, and and like just being stuck in a situation that he cannot he can't make any better with his money. Um, it's just probably one of my favorite things about that film. Um, you know, in fact, it would be fun to see like a sequel to the game, but just with the uh, Winklevoss twins um, kind of being put through their paces <laughs> in some kind of. You know, like real life game that kind of, you know, took took all their money off them and, you know, left them stranded in Mexico in a box. Um, you know, I feel like that'd be a great film. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I to, for me, like, yeah, I kind of between like Fight Club and Seven, like obviously, you know, those are the films that kind of uh, early on kind of made made me a fan of David Fincher. Um, but I certainly, um, I you know, I wouldn't say that there's nothing to talk about with those films, but I just felt that out of all the films that he's done, I think The Social Network is the one where, mostly because of Sorkin's script, um, there's a ton to say mm-hmm. literally every minute. Uh, whereas I feel, you know, like his, you know, his directing style obviously is, some people feel it's cold, but I don't think that that's accurate. Uh, but sometimes he does have a habit of taking a bit more, like a kind of leisurely pace um, in some of his films. Um, you know, so there's there's maybe a little bit less to say about you know like stuff. Even in Fight Club, like there's that's that plot is very very mm-hmm. kind of thin. <laughs> yeah. Like not a huge amount happens in that film. Like it, you know, it takes it takes a you know it takes like a I don't know about like half an hour before you even get Brad Pitt, and then it takes like another hour before you get to Project Mayhem. <laughs> and it's like you know it it takes a while for that film to kind of build. But uh, you know, so I think one of the things that he kind of does really well is kind of just like atmosphere. Um, but that's just not a thing in this, like in social network, like, you know, there is kind of an atmosphere for the different kind of like, you know, which is provided mostly, I would say, by the the great score. And, you know, but I, I think this is mostly like you say, it's about the characters uh, and it's a lot like it feels like there's a lot more kind of momentum in this film than some of his other films. I'm also not like a huge yeah. fan of Panic Room. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's a it's a bit kind of. Uh, like there's a, I mean, there's a lot in Panic Room of like people running in and out of the Panic Room, well, like and kind of running up and down stairs, it kind of in slow motion and just quickly getting into the door and closing the Panic Room, and then somebody else gets in the Panic Room, and it, uh, you know, it's meant to feel claustrophobic, but at the same time, it's not. It's not a, like when I watch it each year, I'm like, yeah, it's an interesting film, but it, it feels like he was kind of struggling for an idea of what it was about. Uh, whereas with his other films, it, he seems a m- lot more focused on exactly what the film is mm-hmm. meant to be about, and so you, you kind of get a, a better idea of, you know, what exactly, you know, what he's trying to say. Yeah. Well, films. I think you can see. Um, I, th- I think this, like this minute's a good example. I think of of his work, and I don't, I, you know, I I don't know quite where the the line is drawn between the the the, con- the, the contribution that the director is making versus a, a cinematographer or director of photography but you mentioned this is just a minute where it's it's mainly just a two-sided conversation you have twins on one side of the desk and larry summers on the other and then um and it's sort of off to the side and, and kind of pipes in for just a couple lines but it's basically just this back and forth but we look at i was just reviewing this minute and uh the Naturally, the camera goes back and forth between showing us the the Winklevosses versus showing us Summers as as different characters are speaking. But just the variety of shots that we have of the twins, we get, you know, there's close-ups of Tyler, there's close-ups of Cameron, depending on who's speaking. We also see them, uh, we see them kind of from the side where the, the closer, where Cameron's in focus and Tyler's in the background out of focus, there are a couple different shots of both the twins from either 
uh, a side angle or from straight ahead. We also have angles where we're behind them and we see Larry, you know, we're looking at Larry Summer who's speaking, but we see the like the backs of the twins' head and stuff. So even within just this one minute, there's there's over half a dozen different angles that we take that were you know different camera placements on the twins to kind of it it adds to the feeling of naturally we have sort of like the the the, the tennis kind of back and forth between the two sides of the desk, but kind of. It gives it give me it gave me a feeling of action without making it, um, you know. I when first wa- when just watching the movie as a whole, it it didn't take away from the experience. Like I don't feel like it's overproduced. But when I when we drill down to the one minute at a time and I start lo- noticing like individual shots and and camera placement and whatnot, that I see like it kind of builds up. Um, you know, the, the camera movement in the different shot shots for me helped build the dynamic that back and forth of this um you know sort of th- this verbal match between the two sides so i, I you know I, I think this this scene and this minute in particular is kind of a good example of a certain style that works very well for this type of movie that is mostly people talking at each other and and you know ba- in which would make sense based off of uh, to a large extent, the uh, you know uh, deposition transcripts, which is all talking. I, in fact, that's the thing that Aaron Sorkin said when he was like, when David Fincher kind of approached him to kind of direct it, he was like, you know, um, you know, I I write scripts where it's just people talking at each other in rooms, and <laughs> his like style of direction is like so completely like different from what you know he like it's not really he would have like thought of him as a director for mm-hmm. this script. And yet between the two of them, they kind of really make it work. And like you said, like, this is a thing that, you know, um, there's a couple of like really good, like uh, video essays out there that people have done about David Fincher's directing style. Uh, But one thing that he never does is like handheld. Mm. That's a lie. He does one or two shots of handheld in every film, but almost never handheld. Uh, Every shot is, is, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's pans and zooms and dollies. Like everything is very specifically kind of done. Um, and like you say, this kind of tennis match of like, you know, um, the kind of the focus on Tyler, the focus on Cameron, it switches to, you know, um, it switches to Larry Summers, it switches back. Like there's and interestingly, you know, in terms of like the um, the CGI that's in this scene, um, whenever one of the twins is talking, the other one is a mm-hmm. CGI head. Um so whichever one isn't talking is CGI. <laughs> so it's which is kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, so it's it, like the the fact that that you know even if you were to mute the scene and just watch these three or four minutes, you would see as the camera moves between the characters, you you can kind of without even any words, you can feel the tension because um, as it as it kind of keeps going back to Larry Summers, it gets a little bit tighter <laughs> each time. Like he's sitting in his chair relaxed, and then he kind of comes forward and he gets more central in the in the screen. And then with the, the you know the twins as well, it actually kind of starts to get a little bit wider on them because obviously if you know they're losing the conversation. Um, and there was there's like a scene in Seven where you have a conversation between three characters, and each time it switches to the person who's kind of in charge of the the kind of the conversation. The angles on the other characters change, so mm-hmm. you know who's in charge. Um, and that's the same thing here. Is like the angles, and this is something that goes on throughout this entire film. Like the angles on certain characters change when they they're the one that's kind of in charge or you know telling the story. Um, particularly because the depositions are effectively told from the point of views of you know like the twins or from the point of view of um, Eduardo. 
so we're not we're never really hearing Mark Zuckerberg's story in those depositions and so it's kind of interesting to see how like those depositions are framed something that we'll see kind of later on in the week as we we finally jump to Eduardo's deposition um but yeah I don't I you know I think you know uh Jeff Cronenworth you know this kind of he basically he's pretty much only worked with David Fincher like the last kind of 20 years um you know he he, he finally worked on a film uh, a million little pieces mm-hmm. Um, based on that uh, that biography that turned out to not be a biography, uh, which is directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, who you know obviously directed Fifty Shades of Grey, starred uh, Dakota Johnson of this film. So that's the first time Jeff Cronenworth has like worked with a different director, kind of in you know five or six years. Uh, he's mostly been kind of working with David Fincher, and I feel like they've got like you can kind of tell um, you know when a director has like you know editors and. Um, uh, you know, and kind of a, a cinematographer who understands what mm-hmm, he wants right. because, you know, David Fincher has a very specific vision and, you know, you only get that if you've got editors who know how to cut exactly where you want the scene to be cut. Um, and, like, the editing in this scene is, you know, for all kind of, like, four minutes of it is effortless. Like, you never feel like the camera is intruding. You always feel like you're just in the right, yeah, conversation. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's kind of it's kind of miraculous, like, how well it's kind of pulled off. Particularly as, like you say, it's just it's just a people it's just a few people in a room <laughs> arguing. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's so, to make that interesting, um, and throughout the entire film to kind of make the whole thing interesting, uh, is kind of remarkable that uh, David Fincher manages to do that. Um, so I feel like we said about as much as we can about this minute. So uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Sean? All right. Well, uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Back in the day, I was involved with uh, well, similar to what you're doing here with the social network, but in that case. We were talking about the movie This Is Spinal Tap, and I did that with uh, wonderful co-host Heidi Bennett. And uh, yeah, so we talked about the movie This Is Spinal Tap one minute at a time, and that's still uh, it's still out there on the uh, on the internet. You can find that at spinaltapminute.com. And if you look up uh, Spinal Tap Minute in your your Apple Podcasts or your Google Play or or wherever you get your podcasts, so you can uh, yeah, you can check that out. And you can find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash the social minute or on Twitter at social underscore minute or on Facebook at social minute podcast. Thanks once more for being my guest here today, Sean. Thank you for having me. And I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>